Wall Street veteran Bernard Madoff has been arrested and charged with running a $50 billion Ponzi scheme. Congress wants to know what caused the Enron meltdown. And well, the collective rage currently is focused on Wilcom. Tyco CEO Dennis Kozlowski was convicted of looting hundreds of millions of dollars. This is one of the biggest fraud cases ever. Their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. Find out more on this week's episode of White Collars, Red Hands. Cinematic productions today are rife with special effects, which leads to extremely swollen budgets that require the help of hundreds of individuals with diverse backgrounds to create. This entire process would not be possible if it were not for the studio-style production model that movies have adhered to. A studio director gets a producer to find a director to produce a script. A little like Henry Ford's assembly line, every person along the way, from producer to key grip, has a specialized task that contributes to a great undertaking all under one roof. The studio. Although the studio style has become ubiquitous in film, it was not always this way. It was developed by a man named Thomas Ince, who revolutionized cinema and on his 44th birthday, decided to board a yacht owned by the newspaper mogul William Hurst. Little did Ince know that these would be his last days on this earth. The events that led to Ince's death on Hurst's yacht, dubbed the Oneida, would be speculated about for decades to come, including on this podcast right now. So join us on a story of possible infidelity, rage, jealousy, and murder with a question mark on this week's episode of White Collars, Red Hands. Oneida, isn't that a silverware brand? Yes, it is a silverware brand, uh, but the name actually comes from a Native American tribe. Ah, which means what a wonderful way to commemorate them. And it means like knowing woman or some, something like that. Mm. I looked it up and promptly forgot it because I did not write it down. So well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know why William Hurst called his yacht the Oneida, but he did. It sounds cool. And here we are. Maybe he owned the silverware company. I don't know. Oh, probably, probably not. No, probably not. Probably not. But, you know, he owned a lot of stuff. So maybe this week it's the season finale. Nine. It's the season. Six I know. Finale. I'm shocked. These last 10 weeks have flown by. I know. And the, the last 60 weeks plus some extras, you know, as my grandfather used to say, time is like a toilet paper roll. When you get to the end, it just keeps going faster. No, when you get to the end, it's gone. I know, but it like when you're about to run out of the toilet paper, it just feels like it's running out faster than when you started the roll. It is running out faster. I just I actually also feel like I don't have enough time off and don't get to enjoy my life the way I should. So that's also why time feels like it's going very fast. We're getting too existential. We started talking time, about toilet paper. Nana. Time is meaningless. So great. So we're okay, back. Sorry, at, I'm going to go down a spiral. I got to stop. You already did. Uh, so I we're know. back to Murder. Murder. Ish. So today is a is kind of a fun story because so this is an unsolved an mystery. unsolved mystery. It's kind of solved, but also kind of not. Like this murder was maybe murder or maybe not murder, um, which will make more sense when we get through all of the information. How to get away with murder? So murder. She wrote. Let me put on my scrubs for a diagnosis murder. Those are all my murder shows. Diagnosis murder is yes, an it actual has, show? Yes, it had Dick Van Dyke in it. 
I watched it a lot. It's an old one? It was like... Or is it old Dick Van Dyke? It's like 80s and 90s. That man's still alive, by the way, right? Yeah, he's like 96. Holy shit. All right. Let's get to what happened on William Hurst's yacht so long ago. Um, So let's first talk about the characters aboard the Oneida that night. This feels like Clue. Uh, It... It is kind of like Clue. And actually, one of the documentaries I watched literally said something along the lines of, like, uh, a yacht? Murder? William Hurst? What about Colonel Mustard with the lead pipe in the library? And I, I audibly <laughs> groaned at that joke. I was like, that's so bad. Congratulations, writers of E! from, like, 25 years ago. Um, so let's start with the owner of the vessel, William Randolph. Hearst, probably the biggest fish in this pond. Mm. Uh, Hearst was born into an already wealthy family in 1863, uh, and he used his familial wealth to attend Harvard, uh, where he would then go on to do such illustrious things as throw beer parties in the quad and send literal pots of shit to his professors with their pictures inside. He was part of like this in 1863. Yeah, so that's he, not easy to get a picture of your professor. Well, he was he was born in 1863, so this is oh. like 18 years later. Okay, so this but is still 1881. Y- yes, so I guess he was part of I forget the club's name. It's like, but it's called like the Harvard like Pudding Society or something like that, and they put on like like drag musicals, like I cross dressing musicals. We we you know. Say drag mm-hmm. now, but they were cross dressing musicals, which obviously would have been making fun of men dressed as women then. But um, they would put on these performances, so he used pudding jars that it said on online were used as chamber pots to his professors with their pictures inside them. So, yeah, <laughs> I do love chocolate pudding. That is the beautiful uh, William Hurst, uh, and obviously he was he was expelled. <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah, if you that's that's a good way to learn how to get expelled. Um, this did not spell the end of his career, however, as William Hurst would go on to buy a newspaper publication that Hurst would eventually grow into a lucrative media empire in the early 20th century. Well, you know, Kashan, he was successful because the problem is that these days people just don't want to work. They need to get off their asses and work. Did you go back and spend some more time in Ohio? No, I'm quoting Kim Kardashian. Oh, that's the... That's the <laughs> yeah, well, she's I like... I posted that meme. Yeah, I you did, did. And I posted it on our Instagram. I didn't know that's what the original quote was, though. Yeah, she's like, people need to get off their asses and work. Like, she's like... Yeah, basically, that's what she said. That, like, people... The problem is, people just don't want to go to work anymore. Get off your fucking ass and work is basically... Something, like, along those lines. And I was like, I haven't had a day off since May, Mar- March 2nd. So. Thank, yeah, thanks, you Kim. You can go fuck yourself, Kim yeah, Thanks, Kim. Um, and another rich person who had no idea saying what they were saying was William, William Hurst. Hurst. Because uh, he grew his media empire in a less than savory way, um, as you can imagine from his college hijinks. Uh, he was known for something called yellow journalism, uh, which is the early equivalent of clickbait, where he would use sensational titles and articles that have little to no facts to actually back them up because, hey, people bought the papers if it's you like, did that. It's like The Onion. Yeah, it's a tabloid. It's more like um, The Inquirer. Oh, yeah. Where it would just say, like, ludicrous stuff about celebrities. 
uh, Angelina Jolie finds aliens in butthole. You know, like like that would be a thing. They'd be like, in in the nineteen, you know, in the early nineteen hundreds, people don't have Google, so they're like, "What? Angelina Jolie has butthole aliens? Can you believe this? This is our one source of news, and therefore must be credible." Right. So, um, but it turns out not caring about facts and journalism is extremely dangerous. As Hearst would go on to print absolutely any gossip about public figures, like I mentioned, ruining lives and reputations of many without having any true backing to the stories he was running. The OG fake news. Um, uh, Fatty Arbuckle, mm-hmm. who uh, he po- he like sent this whole run of stories about him being accused of rape, I think, which actually was not true at all, but it, like, ruined Fatty Arbuckle's career completely, and they just made it up. That's horrible. Yeah, because this is, I mean, no one had any way to refute it. Whatever was in the paper was seen as fact. It's like like watching Tucker Carlson now. Wow, that is... (laughs) People are just like, the green M&M is sexualized. Oh, my God. This is fact, because this is the only media I can You know, when I masturbate, I only eat the green M&Ms while I masturbate. You should stop eating any M&Ms, all right? I mean, you know, I guess if... It's the safest chocolate to eat, though, while you're masturbating, right? Because it does melt in your mouth, down in your hands. Right. So... Exactly. Except for it does melt in your hand, you get all those colors when you're holding a grip full of them. And now you got your your hands are sticky no matter what. So that's a bullshit statement anyway. Well, but then M&M. you don't need lube if your hands are sticky from the M&Ms and sweat. What do you think lube is? Do you think lube is sticky <laughs> or do you think it's the exact opposite, Nina? I don't know. I don't have to use it. It's slipper. Okay. <laughs> Woof. The answer was it's the exact opposite. You don't use crazy glue as lube. That would be sticky. All right. <laughs> Why would you use glue as lube? That's terrible. Yeah, you wouldn't. That's the we're agreeing right now. Oh my god! If you used M and M juice as lube, you would get the worst yeast infection. <laughs> I feel like this is going to be clipped and put on our social media. <laughs> Just that statement. It won't be in the episode, but it will be up on the social media. Be like, look at the things Nina says. I'm putting in the Nina cut. I think I cut it out of the episode that I mentioned the Nina cut, where I'm just going to cut everything I cut out together to make one long Nina episode of you saying <laughs> stuff like that. But that would be in it. Do you have just a Nina so you cut? Know. I wish I did. I, could, I have all the original files. I could go back and do it if I really wanted to. So no. Do not tempt me. I know that there are things in there, though, that are just as bad that are in episodes that should have been cut out. Yeah, that's fair, but you... Because I'm pretty sure you say... <laughs> what? When I say... Oh, you, you say dear piss, I say lube? Yeah, well, that's that's just kind of like your... That was in an episode! Yeah, that is your legacy now. <laughs> um, but the thing is, is like, if I cut out every bad thing you said, like, our episodes would be disjointed and be like 10 minutes long, so... Yeah, uh, <laughs> you have full permission to do that. By the way, anyway, to like make a nine episode. Oh my god, I don't think the world is ready. <laughs> so, so Hearst is to get back to the story. Uh, Hearst <laughs> is um, ruining people's lives, like Fatty Arbuckle, uh, and Hearst paper also almost single handedly fueled the Spanish American War by fueling. American anger towards Spain through articles published at this time. It's known as the Journal's War because he owned a paper called the New York Journal that was spreading most of the pro-war propaganda at the time. Dude, there really is nothing new under the sun. No, literally. And they were like, 
And we're like, well, I guess we gotta go to war with Spain. Everyone's like, why aren't we fighting Spain? Like, you, you literally like, fuck those paella, paella eating motherfuckers. <laughs> the, I hate how they, I hate how they say Barcelona. Oh God, <laughs> fuck up. Barcelona, Barcelona, my ass. Nice lisp, you fucking Spaniards. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm just being true to the character of the time, okay? Yeah. Uh, all this... Sounds a little racist. Oh, well, I mean, it is the early 1900s. Who's not <sighs> racist? We're like 40 years post-Civil War, so... Oh, God, yeah, you know. actually, OMG, the racism had to be really a lot worse, and it's not much... It's not good now. Okay, oh, yeah, anyway. it's, it's not gone. It was, mm, it was yeah. worse then, though. Oh, um, all this made him rich, however, and with money comes gluttony. Hearst... And not in the food sense, in like the vagina sense. Uh, Hearst, although married, had taken on a not so secretive mistress, an actor named Marion Davies, who Hearst had met while she was 19 and him 53. Oh my God. While Davies was performing in the famous Ziegfeld Follies on Broadway, which was a, a little vaudeville inspired show that really um, inspired a lot of early Broadway. For those who don't know, uh, he helped push her career into motion pictures, though. And she is our second guest on The Oneida. So my cousin is 24 and her husband's 57. And that this is worse than that. And it it supposedly, though, Marion Davies did like really love him. But well, like, that's probably also, because he manipulated her into loving him. 19, so. And he was 53 and also had, like, oodles of cash, though. So, Nina's type. You know, for that being my type, I haven't dated hardly any of them. You can't find them. You know why I can't find them? Because I say things that I shouldn't say. Just, like, become a model. Oh, that doesn't... Okay, that's all another whole can of worms. I feel like that's how they meet them. They, like, sit, like, you're rich and you see someone in, like, like Victoria's Secret and you're like, I mean, I'm rich. Yeah, but you know, you know how much I would have to not. You know how much I would have to not eat, and I'm too old to be in Victoria's Secret now. I'm almost thirty. I'm knocking on thirty's door. Oh no! Can't be sexy after thirty. Can't be in Victoria's Secret and can't be in Hollywood. If you're a woman, that is. Those are the rules. I didn't make them. The patriarchy did. Uh (laughs) I've really fucked over my life. No sugar daddy. No, I, I. My chances of being a trophy wife have been squandered. What have I done? Okay, anyway, back to the Well, you know who performed better at being a trophy wife? Marion Davis. Marion Davies, except for she was never the wife because his wife also lived as long as her. So, and they were, they never, they never got unmarried. They just had an affair. Yeah, it was a, he was a very, he He was just a very public affair. His very open mistress. Like, I'm sure his wife knew because it's supposedly even like, like, I guess they had like three children and their like relationship just kind of got boring. So, around the 20s. So, they just kind of both decided to be like, I mean, I think we're just going to kind of go do other stuff, but we're still going to be married, right? So it's like an open relationship? Kind of, but it was the it was like the 1920s, so, you know. You yeah, it wasn't really a thing. It. You could just have an open mistress because that's just what things were, I guess. So Marion Davies was also on this boat, and she was also the number one female box office star in Hollywood in 1924, the year of Thomas Ince's death. By the time she boarded the Oneida, she had been playing on stages and screens for a decade. Uh, Hearst, however, was persistent that she only acted in dramatic roles, and it was said that she yearned to star in more comedic parts, which she was more accustomed to from the vaudeville that she grew up performing in in the first place. But he was, I guess he, like, 
shoehorned her into being like, no, like you should, you should only be in dramatic roles. It's only fit for a woman of your stature, whatever. Well, was she very ingenue? Yeah, but she later you'll find ingenue is like the um, love interest for those of you who are not. Yeah, but you will find out later that she actually did get a chance to perform comedic roles later and did very well at them. She she excelled in that as well because that's where all of her fucking experience was. They were mostly just like, yeah, you're young and pretty. You don't do that. Oh, yeah. Wow, she does look like Amanda Seyfried. Yeah, so it's like, you're young and pretty. You don't do that. Um, I forget. Uh, Reese Witherspoon, I think. No, Kirsten Dunst plays her in the movie, which is... I can see that. There's a 2001 adaptation, which I mentioned later, but I'll mention it now. There's a 2001 adaptation of a scr- of a stage play. That's her and her and Amanda Seyfried look a lot alike. Mm. There's a 2001 ad- adaptation of a stage play by the same name called The Cat's Meow, mm-hmm. which kind of reinvigorated this whole like murder theory in the modern day. Now, it is said that this caused a disconnect between her and Hearst, and it's that that led her into the arms of another prominent passenger on board the boat that night, <gasps> the one and only... Charlie Chaplin in 1924. (laughs) Charlie Chaplin was 35 and had been acting since he was a child. Chaplin was already one of the biggest names in the film industry uh, because he was starring in comedic silent movies featuring slapstick and other forms of physical comedy that has influenced the genre even to this day. A lot like Buster Keaton. If people Mm -hmm. also know Buster Keaton, Buster Keaton had that like the facade of the building falls down and yep. he goes straight through the hole, um, which Johnny Knoxville tried in a jackass movie and had to go to the hospital because it like broke his ribs because it fell on him. They did it wrong the first time. Super dangerous. Yeah. Super dangerous. Uh, Buster Keaton did a lot of stuff that was super dangerous. Like there was like a train thing that he did that was very dangerous as yeah. well. It was like Charlie Chaplin didn't do that much. He's best known for a couple of things. I saw, I know I've seen his um, roller skating Mm-hmm. bit where it's like the broken banister and there's like uh, a big fall and he keeps skating near it while blindfolded but he never goes actually over it and also cool piece of movie magic i know they painted that and it looks really realistic actually um so like spe- like movie special effects from the 1920s were actually pretty interesting um he's also my uh when i was in college earning my um theater minor uh, the dean of the department i remember told a story about um charlie chaplin and there's a scene in one of the movies where he eats an entire shoe and everyone was like that's hilarious <laughs> so he just eats a shoe like piece by piece gross yeah so it, the, it was very how dedicated and dedicated of an actor are you kashan if you won't eat a shoe I don't think he actually ate the shoe, Nina. I think it was movie magic. Ah. Well, this was right around the time of the Great Depression. He may have eaten the shoe. I mean, who knows? Maybe that's why it resonated with so many people at the time, though, because his uh, his character that he played, is, or his most famous one, is called The Tramp. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like a, a poor, bumbling kind of fellow yeah. who, who did stuff like this. So, I don't know. Maybe you hit on something there, a little bit of the zeitgeist at the time. Uh, at this point, Chaplin was extremely wealthy as he gained all the rights to his own movies, pulling a Seinfeld, as I like to think about it. And he was invited aboard the Oneida, it is speculated, so that Hearst could discover if there was something going on between Chaplin and Hearst's mistress, Davies. 
It was rumored at the time that feelings were brewing between the two, and it was also well known that Chaplin was known to be a good lover. <laughs> Big dick. <laughs> I would not think that. It went around. He was like, they were like, you want to like, you want to do someone? Like, Charlie Chaplin's got it going on. People believe that Hearst was a jealous man and wanted to see this interaction with his own eyes to prove it. Um, also among the passengers on the boat was a popular gossip colonist named Luella Parsons, whose potential significance uh, to the story will come in later. But just remember, she was there. I just wanted to mention it now. Um, and last, but certainly not least, we arrive at the man of the hour, Thomas Ince. Ince had been born to a lower-class English immigrant family and started his working career as a journalist and coal miner, Interesting. Weird combination, but yeah, yeah, I guess I guess at the time you could have get paid as just being a journalist. You're like, well, you know, journalist by day, coal miner by night. <laughs> don't you mind coal at night? Oh, it's just dark down there. Never mind. <laughs> I was about to say, I was like, I don't think so. But you're in the ground, so you could probably just do it anytime, right? You got to yeah. light it anyway. Uh, many in his family, though, worked as actors, and the bug soon bit Ince. And through his connections, he found his way into directing and climbed his way up the ladder until he had the idea and the money necessary to realize his vision of a place called Inceville, which was uh, a studio on Sunset Boulevard in modern-day Hollywood, which was a self-contained studio with multiple sets next to each other where Ince would start to crank out multiple films in a more quick and effective manner than other production companies of the time. In 1913 alone, Ince made 150 movies. And there was, I mean, you got to remember that movies at the time were really racist um when i speak about the next oh i thought you were gonna say short but he literally well they were as well they were also short they were maybe like 10 minutes that's why most of charlie chaplin's movie he was literally making one a week charlie chaplin was making one a week at this time so they were like 10 minutes long so and like movie theaters would show multiple but here he had he had literal cowboys like real cowboys and real native americans move in and the native americans set up real teepees like Native American villages and the Cowboys really lived on like in Inceville and were in the movies like they would they would get like the main actors were from L.A. were like actual actors. But all of the other people in the movies were just like the actual people they brought in. It's like when they did. um, What's the what's the movie where the uh, Somali pirates take over? Oh, what the fuck's that called? The boats. You know, look at me. I'm the captain now. Yeah. That, that movie. I never saw it, but I know exactly what you're talking about. I never saw it either. But all of the pirates in that movie were played by like actual Somali people that had like never acted before, including that guy. And it like he moved to America and was like and like I think he got some more roles and stuff, too, after that movie. But they just like found people like that. Into my eyes. I'm the captain. Now. I'm the captain now. Uh, that was what he did then. But he just and he had like a little like. Japanese village set up as well. So you could like shoot multiple different kinds of movies all in the same space. And no one. And all equally as racist. Yeah. Um, n- no one. No one had done this. No one had set up a studio where you had like multiple lots and you could film multiple things and rent them out to people at the time. This was new. So Thomas Ince developed the modern studio style of shooting movies. Which That's is kind of cool, though. Which is kind of cool. Um, it's it's sad though because uh, in like interviews with his granddaughter, everyone's like, everyone just remembers him for 
him dying though. No one ever remembers him for his contribution to the movie industry. So we're doing our due diligence here and mentioning that he did change a lot of things. He's not just about his death. He changed a lot of things and was very influential on even modern movie style. So there we go. Anyway, back to back to dick jokes. Uh, <laughs> so he mostly made westerns and civil war dramas. How exciting! Uh, his success continued through the 1910s, uh, a time which saw him become a co-founder of what is now Paramount Pictures. So he co-founded it and then left because he wanted to start his own studio in the 1920s and go back to or and he wanted to become like uh, an independent producer so instead of now using the studio style where you had to rent out a space and use someone else's studio he wanted to become an uh an independent producer again but it was hard so his popularity waned in the 1920s and it was at this point approaching his 44th birthday that Ince would reach out and approach the man that might have later killed him william Hearse about an idea for them to jointly make a production studio that would become the largest in Hollywood, competing competing with like MGM, I think was the biggest one at this point. And honestly, still kind of is. They still make a lot of stuff. Uh, Hearst had the money and Ince had the know-how. Hearst decided that the best place to talk over the idea would be on his boat. Three miles out from shore where prohibition was no longer the law. So the party could be hashtag hella turns. Um, and that is why after taking a train to San Diego, Hearst would board the Oneida and be sailed out to his doom. So stupid that alcohol is illegal. But yeah. I know that like in almost a hundred years, people are going to be like, it's so stupid that weed was illegal. Yeah. If we're still around. It was also, honestly, it was like weed was legal for a long time and then stopped being legal. And that was, and then it is now being re-legalized. In, in 10 years, no, no matter what your view is on it, it's going to be recreationally legal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, basically everything says it's less dangerous than alcohol and people are getting fucking so drunk they're throwing up every single weekend. We, Americans binge drink more than any other nation. Yeah. So I think a large part of that is because of our drinking age. Cause it's so high. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because people get used to it other places. Mm -hmm. That's actually why I didn't drink that much is cause I was partying a bunch in high school when it matters less mm -hmm. and your body is fresher. And then I was like, by the time I got out, like I was like, I'm done with this. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can also just make alcoholics sooner. I get that. But as someone who likes to overindulge, I would say, yes, I love an ice cream sandwich. You do. My favorite sandwich, an ice cream sandwich and an Italian sub. Favorite stick, mozzarella. Mm, yeah, or beef. Beef stick. Better than mozzarella stick? I don't mm. think so. I don't think so. Mm, hard, hard toss-up. Let's say, I don't think so. Um, so now we arrive at the main event of the evening, the death of Thomas Ince. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, on November 19th, 1924, Ince was taken off the Oneida by Hearst, claiming an illness after partying for a couple of days, and he died just days later. Uh, that's at least what the accepted version of this is. 
The accepted version of Ince's death also states that during his partying for his birthday, Ince consumed champagne and salted almonds, uh, both of which he was told not to ingest because he had a bad stomach ulcer. Uh, He then started to have bad indigestion and retired to his room. After waking up, the indigestion strain caused Ince to have a heart attack. Uh, He was taken off the boat, still alive, but died later with his family. Um, The cause of death on his death certificate, labeling it heart failure. So that's the, like, that's the accepted version in the history books. That is what's written down as what happened. But there are many conflicting reports and speculation at the time and now about what actually happened to Ince that night. One of the theories, and the most predominant, is that Hearst shot Ince on the boat, believing that Ince was actually Chaplin. The two had similarly slight builds with slightly graying hair. This theory has been dramatized in the cat's meow, which I mentioned earlier. In the story, Hearst does discover the love affair between Chaplin and Davies while aboard the boat and conspires to kill Chaplin for the trespass. When he arrives late at night in a fit of jealous rage, he comes upon Davies talking with Ince, not Chaplin, and in a grave error, shoots Ince, then conspires to cover it up using his wealth and media control. At the time of the murder, the morning edition of the news ran with the headline, Movie Producer Shot on Her Yacht. However, this headline was gone from the evening version of the paper. Also supporting this theory is the testimony that Chaplin's valet, Toraichi Kono, who claimed while seeing Ince's body leave the boat that Ince had a bullet wound in his head, and the rumor quickly spread around Hollywood. Hmm. So, Chaplin's valet... Toraichi is a snitch. And the thing is, though, that he didn't go tell media publications this, because that would be like, oh, well, he just wanted the money, right? Mm-hmm. Like someone paid him for the story. No, he told his friends, and it spread throughout, like, the Japanese worker culture in Hollywood, oh. and immediately jumps to the upper classes, like, like, did you hear this? Oh, shit. So he, like, put it in the rumor mill, so it's not like he got paid for this. Yeah. So he really doesn't have a reason to say this. Mm-hmm. But he, I, I, he was asked, he doubled down on it. He was like, yeah, I saw it. Man was shot. In the Damn. head. Wait, so is he, so he was Chaplin's valet. Okay. Yeah, he was Chaplin's valet. Chaplin. I don't know why I said Chaplin. Chaplin. Um, the body was then quickly cremated, even though Ince's religion was believed to be Catholic, which is against cremation. I didn't know that. And it was four days afterwards that he was cremated. That was pretty which, quick. Which is relatively quick. Uh, it was believed that this was an attempt to keep the body from being exhumed for an autopsy. Speculation was that Hearst paid off Ince's widow, Nell Ince, to cremate the body. Nell then took the money and disappeared to Europe in a suspiciously short time after her late husband's death. Damn. Uh, people who went to the funeral also said that she didn't seem that sad. Everyone grieves in different ways, though. Yeah. So. And they hadn't been close for a while, and who knows what happened between them. Ince and his wife, they were close. Wasn't he cheating on her with Marion Davies? That's Hurst. William Hurst. William Hurst. Oh, yeah, because he thought Chaplin was... Okay, okay, I got confused. All right, never mind. Uh, Uh, Ignore everything I just said. I just got the characters confused. (laughs) Uh, 
It is also said that Hearst paid for the silence of an additional person, Luella Parsons. You remember her? I do. I do. She was a gossip colonist, and shortly after this incident on the boat, she received a lifetime contract from Hearst's company. Damn. Many thought that this was a form of hush money payment to keep her from revealing the murderous facts. And later, a screenwriter by the name of Eleanor Glynn, who was aboard the boat, said that they had all been sworn to secrecy about what happened that night, which is something weird to say if no foul play happened with Ince's death. While they were drinking. Well, and people, Tom Foolery, Kashan. And people think that, but if that's what it was, why is that included in the accepted version as well? Right. Like, right. okay, yeah, he had champagne and salted almonds. That fucking killed him. <laughs> like, That's true. So why would you be sworn to secrecy? Be like, no one tell them we had champagne except for dude just to tell them that's why he died. Like, that doesn't make sense, you know? Yeah. So, and then another thing, Charlie Chaplin's ex-wife, his first wife, also said that Chaplin had, quote, pursued Marion Davies while aboard the boat and it had led to a violent altercation, but, but didn't expand any more than that. Hmm. And this was at the time. So this is like a hundred years ago. This is going on. The speculation at the time is going on. And most people at the time also believed it was a murder. Interesting. So I will. So so that's kind of in support of the theory. You have people saying we were sworn to secrecy. Um, you have the valet saying he saw that Ince was shot on his way out of the boat. Uh, you have Charlie Chaplin's wife saying that something did go on between him and Marion Davies. And it did lead to a violent altercation. Uh Ince's widow fled the country shortly afterwards. Yeah, it's a lot of fishy stuff. And he was cremated when he was supposed to be against cremation. Yeah, it's a lot of fishy stuff. Really quick. And the headline that said someone was shot on his boat that disappeared. There are some inconsistencies here, however. You're probably running like, it was, he did it. It was a murder. But there are some inconsistencies. Uh, Ince did have an open casket memorial before his cremation where no one reported seeing a bullet hole in his head. The body was visible for at least a couple of hours and no one reported seeing it. Now, that being said, no one could exhume the body to check to see if there had been some foul play, if someone had covered up the wound or whatever because he was cremated, but that did happen. And as for his beliefs keeping him from cremation, it turns out that him and his wife, Nell, had actually been theosophists uh, in occultist esoteric religion founded by the crazy but very interesting Madame Helena Blavatsky, which is a whole story in itself. If you're into occultism, feel free to check it out, Um, which uh, theosophy also prefers cremation. So I've never even heard of this. It's a rabbit hole. We're not going to go down it. If you really want to know, there's a bunch on it. Yeah, I'm going to look this up later. Also, there were no written accounts from this, is what I saw, but two, doctor, two doctors supposedly saw Ince during his failing health. Both labeled it indigestion, not a bullet wound. I think they know the difference. Because um, supposedly there was a doctor on board. The, the studio doctor was on board, and he was like, yeah, he's sick. We got to get him off. And then he went to visit his family physician when he got back. And then that's when he called for his wife and then and his kids and then died. Supposedly. I mean, all of that's just written down, though. I mean, I don't know. I didn't hear, like, first-person yeah. accounts of this. Um, and it turns out that that lifetime deal with Luella Parsons, supposedly to shut her up, was inked almost a year before the death of Thomas Ince, so probably didn't have anything to do with it because it, this didn't seem premeditated if it was murder. That being said, at the time... 
by her own design, papers did not care about what was fact and what wasn't. So may, even if that headline was run, which is also speculated about, there's not a copy of it anywhere. Hmm. Um, if that was run, might have just been a lie. Uh, it is possible that all of this was simply just made up because the story was sensational. A bit of poetic justice for Hearst, though, that he would be thought of as a murderer the way he portrayed so many others as people of disrepute without evidence. And to this day, we're still not exactly sure what happened on that boat, where or why Ince died. So much so that even his Wikipedia page declares his place of death as either on the boat or at his home. No one can conclusively decide, which almost makes this worse because there's so much, there's so much like um, red tape surrounding it. Well, and what's hard too is it was almost a hundred years ago, so we just don't like there just was so much that we couldn't. Yeah, but it's not even like we're retrospectively putting all of this on it. Right. You know, we do that sometimes. Where we're like, we don't know what happened, and then we start making up all these crazy mm-hmm. theories about it. This is stuff that's, like, from the time. Like, yeah. at the time, it was also speculated about, like, no, I think her shot him and then covered it up. So there has to be at least something at the time that would make people believe this in mass, you know? Right. And it's just, it's kept up to this day. And uh, William Hurst the whole time was like, no. <laughs> I didn't murder nobody, which, of course, if you murdered someone, you're not going to say You're never going to say you or, murdered somebody. But like, You ne- know what's really weird about murderers is they uh, they never say they murdered the people. Yeah, it's really... It's super fucking weird. It's really annoying. They should do that more. Yeah, they should just admit it. Like, if you're listening right now, you're and a serial killer. You should turn yourself in. Yeah, just like go to the police and tell them. Please and thank you. No one will be mad. Mm. <laughs> okay, someone might yeah, be mad. Yeah, part I can't promise. Okay, someone might be mad. Maybe like two people. But just like, try it out. You know, live spontaneously. Admit to your murders. You know, come Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> So, so that's kind of the end of the major story. What what happened to Ince? Was he was he murdered? Did he die of indigestion? I don't know. But we do know what happened to the other people on the boat. So Chaplin went on to later deny that he was ever even on the boat. But we're pretty sure he was on the boat. But like I said, everything in this is speculative. And the Englishman's career would continue to flourish. He was knighted and continued making movies up until his death in 1978. You know Charlie Chaplin lived that long? I didn't realize he lived that long. Yeah, he was like 88. He died like 88 in 1978. He's maybe a little older. He was born in 1989 or 1889. I don't know. Wow. He was almost 90. Yeah, he was old, not like super, super. He wasn't as old as uh, Betty White when she died, though, in 1978. Well, but this was in the... Yeah, but that wasn't normal for people back then, right? Mm, Maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. Yes and no. I mean, like, like we've definitely extended life expectancy now by a little bit, but, like, people were still living to somewhat kind of like that. Yeah. Every now and again, it was less likely, but it was possible. Um that being said, he did have more skeletons in his closet. As I mentioned, it was his ex-wife that said something had happened that night. So she might have made that up because she was upset because he impregnated a 16-year-old star in one of his movies and then divorced his first wife and had a shotgun wedding with her to avoid a statutory rape charge, which is not cool. great. No, that's so, not cool. um, yikes. You know, it's really weird, Charlie Chaplin. Uh, if you do... Uh Still statutory rape, even if you uh, marry them. And like I said, the legally at the time, it was not anymore. You, you know what's you funny? Could, you could have sex with a 16-year-old as long as you were married. Uh, you know, that law hasn't really changed. 
So I don't think it has. It hasn't. So not in America anyway. It's weird though. Super uncool. I hope now parents would still be like, no, you are 35 and our daughter is 16. Well, there's still over a hundred thousand marriages per year in America for underage children. Hear about all that and more in this, in this week's new segment, sad facts, sad facts Uh, with Nina. Um, now, William Hurst went on to inspire the main character of the much-acclaimed movie Citizen Kane, which does not paint him in a very favorable light. Uh, he would also lose most of his wealth during the Great Depression, and the Hearst organization was forced to reorganize, making Hearst merely an employee under an outside manager at his own company. Uh, his wife and mistress, Marion Davies, though, stayed by his side all the way until his death in 1951. Oh, wow. For the rest of his life, Hearst had the rumors of Ince's death surround him, which he continued to deny fervently. Uh, Marion Davies left the screen after a decline in her career, also during the Great Depression, partially because of the introduction of talking pictures, which was difficult for Davies since she had a persistent stutter. Oh, that's too bad. She also battled alcoholism for the rest of her life. Well, that's because the prohibition ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, but retained wealth given to her by Hearst in his will. Uh, he actually he gave her like thirty thousand shares of his of the Hearst company in his will, plus like thirty thousand dollars in a trust fund. And she eventually she actually had a controlling stake of the Hearst Corporation. He wow. gave so much to her that she was the main. She was the main. She had a controlling stake, like she actually controlled the business. But she sold it, sold some stock to like the main people running it for a dollar. Is like. And they continue to run it, but she got to keep all of her shares, which I mean, maybe she didn't want that power. Yeah. And she probably, I mean, if someone just handed me like you control a newspaper company now, I'd be like, the fuck I do. (laughs) I don't know how to do that. Yeah. No, (laughs) that's probably what it was. That's a bad choice. So, but she got to keep her money. So she, 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 she's fine. Um, she went on to contribute much of it though, to charitable donations and later lost a battle with cancer. That's sad. Now I'm sad. So, it, I mean, Ince died at 44, though. And if you really died from indigestion at 44, that fucking yeah, sucks, Yeah, that just seems... Um, there's so much of this story that's like... Meh. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, supposedly people that know, knew him did, like, he would, like, double over in pain from his abdomen every now and again because he was, like, working all the time. Um, and his son actually became a doctor and later was like, I think he had thrombosis, which just means he had a blood clot. Oh, shit. So, I don't know. I don't, I'm not convinced of anything. No, and and neither am I. Because what really happened on that day in 1924? Did the father of Westerns, which is what they call him, Thomas Ince, get taken out by some champagne and almonds? Hey there, stick him up. I'm champagne and almonds, and I'm coming for y'all, sir. What a shitty Western. But if you're making, a, if you're making 150 in a year, you'll, you get to that They're at some point, for sure. Um or was he the victim of a fatal love triangle where he did not even occupy one of the corners? To this day, rumors swirl. And YouTube videos on the subject are largely in the favor of a cover-up. And might as well, death by nuts and booze is just not that interesting of a story. That's what we talk about here, though, on White College Red Hands. The stories that many people deem uninteresting the complicated crimes of greed that persist in our capitalist structure to this day, just like the rumors still persist about William Hearst. 
even if Hearst didn't shoot anybody directly, his influence led to many deaths in the Spanish-American War, all for the greed of building his newspaper empire on deceit. Either way, I think we can definitively say that William Hearst was a murderer. And he murdered people's careers. Yeah, and that. I mean, here's no one was good at this time, though, right? You know, no. like all these people are terrible people. But. Has anyone ever been good, Kishan? We're all born into sin. Oh, my God. Stop <laughs> quoting religious stuff at me. It's almost as bad as quoting astrology at me. I don't Ooh, wow. want to hear it. That's a slow blow. Calling me a, a fucking goat or whatever the Lord herds. Sheep. I don't Sheep. care. It's just as bad as calling me an Aquarius, okay? You are an Aquarius. Though. I know. But to the people who would call me a sheep, I'm also that shit. I don't bleat. Listen, Kashant, it's the age of Aquarius. so The best ending to a movie. 40-year-old <laughs> virgin. Um, I don't remember. So that's that's the death of Thomas Ince. Maybe at the hands of the one of the wealthiest men in America, William Hurst at the time. Maybe at the hands of some salted almonds. <laughs> Damn it, planners. You know, I'm about to say that Mr. Peanut is getting violent, man. Pe- Mr. Peanut's pretty violent with me. Maybe that's what it was. Oh, my God. What if he was allergic? A peanut and a top hat and a monocle snuck. Oh, he wouldn't have to sneak on. He would be invited to that, that yacht party. And he, he fucking strangled this man. He did. And then shot him in the face because, I mean, it has to fit into the story. But, oh, my God. Mr. Peanut killed a guy, y'all. I think White Collar's Red Hands just solved a cold case. We just solved... My name just popped out. Uh, we just solved a mystery. I'm glad you were all here for it. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much for listening to this season finale, our first unsolved case. To Ooh. be honest, we're running out of rich people who actually murdered people, okay? So if you have a rich person that actually murdered someone and you want to make it as a suggestion for our season finale... Why don't you send that over to whitecollarsredhands at gmail.com. Help us out. Because I want to steal your ideas. All right. Um, and just thank you guys for being such dedicated listeners here. Yes. Man. We just, this is season six. We're about to start season seven in, in a couple of weeks. And uh, we've been doing this for, bless you. Thank you. We've been doing this for almost a year and a half, Nina. Yeah. Almost a year and a half. We already celebrated one potiversary. We're looking forward to the second potiversary, and uh, we're happy that we still have um, the gumption people out there that uh, sit through <laughs> uh, what we have to say. So yeah, thanks, guys. It's nice. Just really great. Thanks for my ego. So same. Yeah, I wake up every morning. I'm like my daily affirmations in the mirror. I'm like people listen to you, <laughs> like dozens of people listen to you <laughs> i should do daily affirmations i don't actually do that i I, know I, I would find myself feeling very silly yeah yeah so yeah. um so like i mentioned we're going to take a couple weeks off of regular episodes um i'm gonna i'm going to do another small claims court in that time so uh but we will be back in a couple of weeks uh two weeks off and then back on that third week so in that time uh you can take the time to like share review 
uh, rates on all of your podcatchers everywhere you listen it has at least one of those uh, Spotify has ratings now uh, we got another good rating so that rating's going up Yay. We'd, we'd like to see even more of you who listen on iTunes go on there and uh, leave us a rating a write a view a review if you feel so inclined uh, and just recommend it to somebody recommend it to a friend uh, get more ears here listening to us uh, that's the best way to support our content if you like what you hear lend um, me your ear not really. Don't send me any ears. We don't have a P.O. box. You don't even have a place to send it. I don't want to open up open a box and find an ear in it. Uh, that would make me cry. All right. So please don't do that. Uh, follow our socials, too. That's another free way uh, to support Engage With Us. That's uh, Facebook.com slash White Collars Red Hands. Twitter at White Collars Pod. Instagram at White Collars underscore red hands uh we post about we post fire memes recently and we post uh, uh links to our episodes descriptions of our episodes it's a good way to engage with us sending us a dm on twitter or instagram uh we like to talk to you that way as well um and it's all free another free way to support us is listening to us on entertainment buffet on youtube they are the uh platform that hosts all of our podcast videos so if that's more your style you want to go on there and uh listen through youtube you can do that um 100 free and supports us um a not free way to support us and to also rep some style hell yeah motherfucker is to buy some merch uh you can go to our website whitecollarsredhands.com click the button that says check out our merch that'll take you to our store page you can get sweatshirts t-shirts um flags laptop cases a mugs flag? yeah you can get a flag and get a tapestry we talked about it before huh. I uh, forgot. <laughs> so you can go on there you can buy one of those and that supports us directly um and we also to those e- to our email you can also send suggestions oh did i mention that at the beginning i don't know just say it again you can recommend episodes for season seven. Uh, we're going to be deciding those before we start doing season seven, and you could have an episode. We'll shout you out if you do, if we choose your uh, topic for one of those episodes. We've done in the past. We'd love it to do do it with some more people in the future. You can send that at whitecollarsredhands at gmail.com. And I think that's everything. So thanks so much for joining us today. We'll see you next week. Uh, not next week. Next we'll couple s- weeks. On we'll another, see you next season. On another season of White Collars, Red Red Hands. Hands.